some of you are excited, and uh, one, of, one of the folks I was talking to was Lauren Kelly. Lauren is on our welcome team over here. She's always smiling when you're coming in and when you're leaving. Um, and you should visit her, by the way, if you're new when you leave and fill out one of our Connect cards, and I'll text you, and it'll be great. We can get you connected with small groups and all kinds of other stuff. Shameless plug. But Lauren said, I'm so excited for this series. She's been a Christian for a while. She said, I, I said, Did you, do you know much about spiritual warfare? And she said, not until this last year. And I said, but you grew up going to church, right? And she was like, yes. So we just never talked about it. Now, if you were Satan, wouldn't it be a great strategy for the church to forget about you? What a great plan. If he could help us think, oh, we're past that. There's no more guys in red spandex with a pitchfork and little horns like walking around. Like we're past that. We've grown out of that. Uh, when people sin, it's all just their own flesh, their sinful nature. There's no demonic or satanic influence. It would be really a really smart plan. And unfortunately, I think his plan has worked in a lot of churches. Some friends of ours in Zimbabwe were, uh, were, we were visiting there, and they said uh, that it was one of our first trips to Zimbabwe, and I had a bunch of college students with me, and we were going from house to house, and we were sharing the gospel and meeting neighbors, and these folks live in this community, and so we were meeting their neighbors, and as the opportunity would arise, we would try to talk to them about Christ, and while we were there, we invited them all to this big culmination at the end of the week where we were building playgrounds and all kinds of other stuff in their backyards and of their neighborhoods. But at the end of the week, we we're going to show the Jesus film in their language in Indabeli. Uh, what a fun language to say the name of, Indabeli. But uh, we were going to show it in Indabeli, and we had these like glow-in-the-dark nightsticks, and it was going to be this great thing where we shared the gospel. And we did do that, and a ton of people came, and it was awesome. But we got to this one house, and they said, no one can go in that house. And we said, well, why can't anyone go in that house? And they said, there are demons in that house. And, uh, and I have a bunch of very Western, very American uh, college students with me, and all they can think of is like, you know, the conjuring or something. And so they're, they're like, is there going to be some doll that comes out and talks to me and tries to kill me? What's going to happen? I don't know. But I'm not, I'm not making this up. There was a, an evil presence around that house. And so we went to that home. We did not go in the home because Chris, our fellow who was leading our trip, who is Zimbabwean, Chris said, Tom, you can't go in there. And I said, why? And he said, you're not stronger than what's in there. And Chris just has grown up in this environment where spiritual warfare is a real thing and uh, demonic oppression is a real thing and it's very in your face and present. And, uh, and so we went through that. We prayed over the house. The lady ended up moving back into the house um, we put a, a cross in the front yard. I mean, we did stuff that I was like, nobody's going to, this is not going to make zero sense to people back home. So I'm leaving out some details just to save you the questions. Uh, but anyway, you fast forward a little bit, and we're friends now with Chris and his wife, Norma. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, we don't have a lot of demon possession in the United States. And Norma said, Tom, really? Yes, you do. And I said, no, we don't. She said, you just treat it with medicine. And I was like, I don't know, maybe she's right. And so I want us to understand that one of the schemes of the devil is to make you think he doesn't exist, to make you think he only did stuff in this book that he doesn't do anymore. 
to maybe even make you question, did those things really happen? It's a great plan. It's the perfect camouflage. Let's read from Ephesians 6. We'll start in verse 10. You know what? Let's do, I do this like once every six weeks. Let's just stand as we read together. Just like in the Sermon on the Mount, his disciples came to him and he sat down and began to teach them. When people speak, even though Jesus is God, the tradition is we sit, but when God speaks, when you read the word out loud, we stand. So, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given in the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that my words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Lord, would you speak to us tonight through your word? Lord, help my words to be what you want. Lord, speak to our hearts, change us, and open our eyes that we may be able to stand in this present darkness. It's in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. As I was thinking about this passage, the idea of this present darkness we live in can be withstood in the power of God so that others may know and follow Jesus. I promise you this, spiritual warfare is as real as the air that I breathe. 1 Peter 5.8 says that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for those whom he may devour. Now, Humans are no match for a lion. But there's a great passage in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 5. Let me read it to you. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah. There's no amount of spiritual bench presses or squats or sweaty yoga classes you can do to be able to take on the spiritual powers that are at large on your own. Our enemy is a roaring lion. Again, on one of those mission trips to Africa, one night we were going to sleep and we were staying in this really nice place at the end of the trip. It was a safari, and off in the distance we heard this deep roar. And then again, and again, and again. 
And then a few minutes would go by and we would hear it again and again and again. And we asked the guide, the safari guide the next day, we said, what was that lion doing? He said, oh, that's the roaring lion. We said, yeah, I mean, what was he doing? He said, when you hear a lion roar like that, it's hunting. So we can't fight a lion, but there's another lion that can fight the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Our job is to stand strong in the Lord, and we're going to look at that as the night goes on. Our job is to stand strong in Him. He's the one who's ultimately going to render powerless these spiritual forces that are at work. I think if you're wondering still, if I'm still trying to convince you of is spiritual warfare real, how many of you, I'm not going to ask you to quote it, how many of you have memorized at one point in your life or another the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, our Father who art in heaven. My football coach used to do this, and then he would cuss a lot afterwards. I think it kind of rendered it like a little bit powerless. But he would say, all right, boys, bleep, 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 get together. And we'd get together, and he'd say, take your helmets off. And we'd take our helmets off. Our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, thy will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I was like... Should we pray for this now? Like, but you don't interrupt. Uh, and then he goes on, forgive us of our trespasses and we forgive us who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Jesus in Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer basically commands us to have respect for the evil one. He tells us to pray that God would deliver us from the evil one. That doesn't have a time stamp on it, like, oh, by the year 67 A.D., that one's done. So spiritual warfare is real. It's included in the Lord's Prayer. It's a real thing that happens, and it's a warning if you would say, I am a Christian, but you have no idea what this is about. I think if you go back to Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6, you can just write these, these verses down if you're taking notes. Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 19. Not Elijah, but his predecessor, Elisha. He's with his servant, and they, they look up, and his servant sees all these enemies out there that are looking for the two of them. And he wakes Elisha up, and he says, Elisha, Elisha, we're in big trouble. There's all these enemies out there. And Elisha says, Lord... Would you open his eyes? And the servant looks back, and he sees the armies of the Lord in chariots and flaming chariots surrounding them. We see one thing as reality. There's a whole other world out there that we don't even walk around. We're just completely unaware of. By the way, he prays again, and those angels blind the army. Elisha walks out and says, oh, I know who you're looking for, leads them right into captivity. Once they get there, the, they, the folks who captured them said, should we kill them? And Elisha says, don't kill them. We brought them here, feed them, and let's tell them about God. That's really real. We think in three dimensions. There's beyond three dimensions. Ask an atheistic physicist how many dimensions there are. It doesn't take a Christian to tell you there's more than what the eye can see. So, I think what we want to look at 
I was going to tell you a story. Should I tell you just a personal story just to tell you one more thing? Okay, here's the thing. So I'm not going to tell you all my stories because you'll just be like, we're never coming back. Um, But there have been times that I've gone through hard things, church hard things, people hard things, and I'll find myself in this book and really, really deep in this book. And one night I had been wrestling through some stuff that was a culmination of a a good bit of time of wrestling. And I was in this book and Heather and I were praying about this thing and we both go to sleep. And I mean, it was just oppressive. Like there was just some stuff going on that you just can't explain as uh, anything other than there's just spiritual warfare going on here. I can't see it and I can't quite put my finger on it, but like there's something beyond just the human flesh and sinful nature. Like there is foul play here. And as we were going to sleep that night, um, I don't know what time of the evening it was, but it was pretty late. Going to sleep, the, oh, as we're laying there, sound asleep, this thing comes up out of the floor in the bedroom, and it's right beside me. And I, and I know I'm dreaming, but it was one of those dreams where, like, you're so afraid you can't open your eyes. I don't know if you've had those. And I was just telling myself, you got to wake up. You got to wake up. It was just this terrible, terrible, like, I mean, it was just, I mean, I'm a big guy. I'm like 220. Like, I'm a big guy. That's how much I'll tell you I weigh. I'm like 220, big guy. Like, uh, I mean, I shouldn't be afraid of this thing, but like this thing wasn't like me or you. And it was just terrifying. And I thought, you've just got to wake up. You've just got to wake up. Open your eyes. And about that time, our Boston Terrier at the time, we have two of them now, but our Boston Terrier woke us both up because he stood up on the bed, faced the thing, hair on a full mohawk across its back, and was barking like crazy, like the most ferocious bark a dog can ever bark, wanting to kill whatever that thing was. And I woke up And I looked, I saw our Boston, and I looked over and where the thing was, and the thing wasn't there, but the Boston was locked on to the exact place the thing was. Like, it's not like, there's no mistake here. Like, the thing, the dog was, like, looking at the thing. And Heather woke up, and I told it to her, and we stopped, and we prayed. And so, I'm just telling you, there's things that you just can't quite explain that happen. But don't have such a dry faith that you can explain it all because you just missed the Lord at that point. If you can explain everything in this book, and you can explain it scientifically and with a graph, you're greater than Paul. Paul talked about the mysteries of the faith. So let's carry on. In Ephesians 6, there's a couple of things I want to point out tonight. One is I want to, I, I want to tell you who the devil is I want to tell you um, what some of his, uh, his schemes are, and we're going to really look at that next week. And then I want to look at what does it mean to be strong in the Lord and what's the point. And so let me just jump right into uh, kind of who is the devil. And I'm basing this really off of the second of these verses where it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So if I told you, hey, don't get cancer, but I didn't tell you what cancer was, if I didn't tell you what cancer did, it really wouldn't be that helpful. So I want to tell you a little bit about who the devil is without glorifying the devil. I want you to think of this as a cancer awareness talk. We are not glorifying cancer if we were giving that talk, but we are making you aware of what it is so that you could hopefully avoid it. And then next week, we're going to look at some of the practical steps of the way that Satan attacks all of us and the enemy attacks us and how to avoid that. So, not for the faint of heart, but certainly necessary. So, I'm going to give you at the bottom of this slide, I think you'll see… Let's go to the next one. You'll see a bunch of scriptures. I just put them down there. I'm going to go through several of those. If you want to take a picture of that, I'll leave it up for a little while. But let's just look. So who is the devil, the demons? What does he, what do they do? Well, one of the things they do is they incite. In 2 Chronicles 21.5, the devil himself, he's called Satan in that verse. Uh, In 1 Chronicles 21.1, Satan, which means adversary. The word Satan means adversary, and that's the first time he's called that. Second Chronicles 21.5, the adversary incites David to take a census. So one of the things Satan does is he puffs up your pride. That's one of the things that Satan does is puff up pride. He can also enter hearts. Uh, Luke 22.3, John 13.2, it says that Satan entered Judas's heart. Some would call that possession. It might be at that point. I'll get into that in just a little bit, but that's one of the things Satan can do. He can enter the heart of a person, and when he enters a person's heart, that's different than influencing their thoughts. He didn't enter David's heart. He was whispering in David's ear. It's kind of next level if Satan were to enter someone's heart. And that's what Judas went and sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. In that case, he certainly attacks your emotions uh, specifically. Uh, He can enter bodies. He can have physical harm. If you think about Job chapters 1 and 2, he asked God permission to physically harm Job and his family. We would call that power over nature, or he would be supernatural. So we get the idea of supernatural. Satan can influence a person's health, and he can influence uh, he can influence natural things. There's a storm that comes in the book of Job. There's some other stuff. So he can influence things just like well, if you think about it, in Exodus chapter uh, chapter seven. Um, again, in Exodus uh, Exodus chapter, I believe it's twice in chapter seven, then once in chapter eight. What happens? Well. Aaron throws down his rod, and it becomes a serpent. The the sorcerers also throw down a rod, and they become serpents. He turns the Nile into blood, and the sorcerers can turn the water into blood. They make gnats, and so on and so on, and they can follow up to a few of God's miracles that he did. But the enemy can influence physical surroundings as well as human. He can mess you up. What else can he do? Well, he, has, he can possess people. Mary Magdalene, if you, go to, uh, if you go to Israel, there's a great place called Magdalene. It's a little town that was just discovered a few years ago. It's amazing. It was only discovered a few years ago, but it was only six feet under the ground right by a major highway. 
This little town is a really cool town. There's a lot of great stuff to, to explore there. It's where Mary Magdalene was from. So I've said, I said it wrong to begin with. It's Magdala. Magdalene was from Magdala. So Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, she was one of Jesus' main followers. But she wasn't one of his main followers until Jesus cast out seven demons from her. So demon possession is a thing. That means that a the demon can come into a person. The demon can manipulate a person. They can make them say things, make them do things. They can give them extra strong strength. You think about the guy that was at the tombs that Jesus cast the demons out of. They would bind him up to the tombs, and then he would break the chains. And then he would lose some of that strength. They would bind him again up to the tombs, and he would break the chains. There were two men in that area. Jesus cast demons out of them. The demons went into the pig ran over the edge. And the, when Jesus said, who are you? The demon said, we are legion for we are many. So we don't even know how many demons were in that person. These are things that in a church like Christ Covenant, which has um, some of you are like, so this is a Presbyterian church, right? Um, now you're going to say, so this is a charismatic church, right? Uh, but since we're talking about these things, we're, in a church that has a higher uh, value on, hey, let's talk theology. Hey, let's talk uh, let's talk doctrine. Let's talk all these things. You typically don't hear as much about spiritual warfare. I want you to know the whole staff pretty much believes in spiritual warfare. In fact, a lot of the people we read and subscribe to, they support the idea of spiritual warfare still being a real thing. So even if some of this is new, let it be as new as if you were hearing about cancer for the first time. It ought to be a little unnerving. You ought to think, can some of that happen to me? Has that ever happened? Has I've ever come across somebody? Like, you ought to think these thoughts ought to just be permeating your mind where you get a little nervous when you start hearing about these things. Um, I remember asking at one point, can a Christian be possessed? Here's some great verses to write down. John 10, 27 through 28. In John 10, 27 and 28, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. And then he says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. So once a person is the Lord's, they're always the Lord's. And the old illustration still holds true. I'm a Nelson. I belong to Chip and Gail Nelson. And no matter what I do, I'm still their kid. If I belong to the Lord, I am possessed by Him. I am His possession. And so while I can be influenced from Satan, I don't know if you remember, Jesus talking to Peter. Peter said, hey, I know what we ought to do. And Peter cast some vision for some stuff, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't literally saying, Peter, you're Satan, but he was saying, Peter, you've been influenced by Satan, but Peter was certainly not possessed by Satan. So you and I, if we are Christians, can still be influenced by evil, but we can never be possessed by it. Once we are the Lord's, we are always the Lord's. I think an interesting thought in all this is, well, okay, so are you saying I'm one or the other? Well, I think you are, the Scriptures point out, either of the devil or of the Lord. I think there's only two camps. Let me show you a verse that illustrates that. 1 John 3, 8. I think we've got that on a slide. 
1 John 3, 8, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So, this is the Bible saying this, not me. Everyone in this room, you are either of the Lord, meaning you have been paid for and bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ, or you have not. And the cold, hard reality is that means you're continuing in your sin. The devil was the first to continue, to start sin and continue in sin. So you're either of him. It doesn't mean you're possessed by him. You're either in his camp or the Lord's. There is no middle ground. I think if you want to avoid the whole possession thing, just come on over. Uh, So if you wonder where did Satan come from, well, Satan came as an angel of light. In fact, in Isaiah 14, verses 11 through 21, most would argue, I think a lot of critical scholars would argue, Isaiah 14, 11 through 21 is a description of how Satan fell from heaven, who he was originally. That's where the word Lucifer is used. Lucifer means light bearer. And in Isaiah 14, it says, O morning star, how you have fallen how you wanted to rise above God and take his place. So Lucifer was one of the angels, maybe the greatest of all the angels. And as one of the angels, there was some point in the way he saw God being God that he thought, I'd do it different. In fact, I think I will do it different. I'm going to get some of my friends here together and we're going to overthrow the big guy. Well, if God is the supreme being, the first and greatest of all the beings, you can't, and he makes you, you're going to have a real hard time overthrowing him. But Satan had puffed himself up to the point that he thought, I know better. So pride was the beginning of the ultimate fall of Satan. And as a result, all of us it's a whole, whole passage that outlines how he, be, he was the light bearer, and now he's the light stealer. One of his greatest tricks is to get you to question the truth of God. What did he do in Genesis 3? He went to Adam and Eve, and he said, did God really say that? It's the same line he uses on you and on me today. We read a Bible verse, we hear a sermon, we listen to a podcast, we go to church, we feel convicted, and we're like, ah, oh, i got to make this change. God's calling me to make this change. And one of the first things that happens to us is we hear this questioning voice. Yeah, but did God really say that? Are you sure, like, you have to do that? I remember I was in a relationship with a girl when I was, like, 16 years old, and I knew about purity, and I knew about, like, treating her well, and I knew all these things. And then, like, we did some stuff we shouldn't, and things weren't great. And we were both like Christian kids in the youth group. And, uh, and I literally got convinced that other kids in the youth group should be pure. But like, it's okay for us to not be pure. Tell me that's not a satanic or a demonic thought. It sounds like a normal thought that a person would have. And that's how normal I think satanic and demonic thoughts are. It's where he makes you question Did God really say that? Did God really do that? Did God really mean that? Nah, it's not not for you. Uh, There's 
there's so much more. I, I just want to, I want to give you one more verse though. Jesus himself said this about Satan. So if you want a full descriptor, look at John 8, 44. I think we've got a slide for that one as well. Look at John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's, your father's desires. And here's where the descriptor is. He was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, listen to this, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The number one thing Satan wants to do is to get you to believe a false idea. If he can get you to believe a false idea, then you get sidetracked and you get derailed and you become completely ineffective for the Lord and for the gospel. You don't enjoy the Lord anymore. And people look at you and they say, I thought you were a Christian. And you're like, I am. And they're like, I don't see it. If you're a Christian, I might as well never be one because I think my life's actually better than yours. Somewhere along the, the way, Satan got you to believe one of his lies and follow his little minion plan. And so... You get all that, and there's so much more, but you get, you get all that, and you got to ask the question, so how do I avoid this? Well, if you go back to Ephesians 6, he starts off in this whole passage, and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then he goes on, and he says, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. When we hide ourselves in the Lord, only then can the Lord defend us from him as we're in the Lord. Psalm 91 is a great picture of this. He who hides in the shelter, or he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He will guard you as a hen guards her little ones. He says he will hide you under the pinions of his wings. That's the picture of a mother bird hiding the baby birds up under her. It's when we're hiding in the Lord that we can stand against the devil. And how do we hide in the Lord? Well, he's going to give us this spiritual armor that we are to put on. Before we do that, though, there have been some folks who did try to fight against the devil in other ways. You ever heard of Martin Luther? Martin Luther, um, he got, he, he got kind of kidnapped for a little while because he was in big trouble. You know, he was reforming the whole Christian world. And when he was reforming the Christian world, he was writing a lot. And while he was writing, he said Satan would attack him all the time. This is one of those fact check things. You're definitely going to want to look this up. He said Satan would attack him all the time. Sometimes he thought the devil was, was like a little fly flying around his head. And, uh, and sometimes there was a giant dog that would be in his bed. There's no sign that there was a real dog there, but he would see this giant dog in his bed, like a tack dog. He was like, man, the devil will not leave me alone. One day he got so fed up at the devil that he took an inkwell and chunked it across the room where he thought the devil was located to try to hit the devil with his inkwell. And so the story goes on. Now there's places all over Europe where you can go and they'll say, Martin Luther stayed here. You can tell because there's an ink spot on the wall. And so people would then find out he did that and they would go put ink on the wall and be in charge like extra for you to stay in that room. But the real story is that he probably did throw an inkwell at the devil one time. Now, I don't know if Martin Luther was really standing firm in the Lord at that point, but at least he was aware enough to know, I'm about the Lord's work, and so the devil's about sidetracking me. If you're not about the Lord's work, he's already sidetracked you. 
and you don't even realize it. He pulled you off the path a long time ago if you're a Christian and you're not about the Lord's work. But if you're about the Lord's work, He's after you. Now, He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipowerful. He's, none of the, he's, not, he's not omniscient. He can't read your thoughts. He doesn't, he's not like, he, He's not God. But he's got plenty of little demons that float around. That's why I gave out that screw tape letters book. C.S. Lewis put himself in the thoughts of, of two demons and how they would sidetrack these humans. And so you ought, to, you ought to get a copy of one of the ones that we've got left before you leave. But let's look and just see how we put on the armor of God and hide in the Lord to stand against Satan. And I'm going to do this fairly quickly, but I've got another slide up there. This is a slide I took out of the Bible Project. Uh, they did a great video on the book of Ephesians, and I thought that this guy illustrates perfectly where we're going. So I'm going to read it to you. After we take our stand against the devil, he says in verse, thir- uh, in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then he's going to go on, and I'm going to talk about the prayer part in just a minute. But let's just take a look. So, Paul, in his wisdom through the Holy Spirit, says, this is a picture of how you can stay about the Lord's work, be about His business, do His things, and finish the course in this present darkness. And this present darkness was in 40 A.D., and it's in 2021 A.D. This present darkness is around. Satan is alive and roaring. He is looking to devour you. Some of you, he is close to devouring. Some of you, he has pulled off the path a long time ago. And maybe this is a wake-up call of like, when did I believe one of his lies and what was his lie? Because I would definitely call myself a Christian, but I haven't been about the Lord's work in a long time. He says, look, truth You want to always be reminded of the truth. What do you listen to? What are your podcasts? What music are you putting in your head? How much of that book are you consuming? How many conversations do you have with folks that are edifying and challenging and encouraging and making you think about the Lord? How much truth is in your life? If Instagram is where you get all your truth or TikTok or whatever your thing is, or like ESPN, heaven forbid, it's like Fox or CNN. If you get your truth from any of those places and that's like where you consume your truth, like you pretty much your pants are down. All right, like you, you do not have a belt working for you. You, the belt, you want the belt of truth. And that's how you tell a lie. The more surrounded by truth, the quicker you can spot a lie. You don't need to know every lie but you need to know as many truths as you can. And then you got this breastplate of righteousness. A lot of people think that the Christian life is about like not doing bad. No, the Christian life is like charging the gates of hell. It's about being about the Lord's work. I say this all the time, but think about it. Uh, Why did you not just get sucked up into heaven as soon as you came to Christ? Because he has stuff for you to do here. 
the whole book of Ephesians is about how a whole community of Christians should look different in the community they live in so that the world looks at them and says, wow, what is different about you? What is the breastplate of righteousness? It's doing the right things for God for the right reason for in the community that you live in. When was the last time you did a Christian thing? And maybe you're like, Thomas, coming here was like a big step. I'm proud of you. Keep doing it. But when was the last time you did a Christian thing? You know, one of the Christian things, just skipping around a little bit, but well, not really. One of the Christian things right here is around the feet, the gospel. When was the last time you had a conversation with somebody? I don't mean like you told them, like, I go to church sometimes, or sorry, I can't do anything because Tuesday I go to this thing. Like, not like coded, but like, when was the last time you told someone, I actually believe that Jesus Christ came to earth and died on a cross to take the wrath of God on himself so that I could be born again and be given eternal life. So anyway, what do you have in your coffee? Like, gulp, like I actually told someone what I really believe. People will tell you what they believe. People have no problem telling you what they believe. When was the last time you were about the Lord's work and you actually shared the gospel with someone? You know, I think it was at Penn, of Penn and Teller, I think it was Penn who said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize them if you believe that the good news of Jesus Christ could send them to uh, eternity with God? Like, that's an atheist logic, and it's not bad. The, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, how often? When was the last time you preached the gospel to yourself? I was dead in my trespasses, Ephesians chapter 2 the first couple of chapters, he preaches the gospel to the whole group, and most of them had already received the gospel. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and you were like, I was dead, like totally dead in my trespasses, like, I, like worthless, like dead. It wasn't like I was drowning and he threw me a life jacket and I held on real tight and he like pulled me into shore so like I have like a little bit of stake and like claim to like I got saved. No, like I was dead in my trespasses and he woke me out of my death and gave me life. Like, whoa, that's, that is amazing. That's amazing grace. And when was the last time you still were remembering that by like 11 a.m.? Or for all you nurses in the room at like 3 a.m. when you're still going strong? The reason Spurgeon was asked one time, why don't we have to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit? And he said, because we leak. Like, we're leaky vessels. We're like strainers. We got like holes all in us. We need to continually be reminded of the gospel and how we've been born again and bought with a price. And then the shield of faith, what happens? Well, the, the evil that Satan and the demons throw at us, they're these fiery darts that come at you. And sometimes they make you question your value, your worth, your intelligence, your companies, like, do they care about you, your family? Are you ever gonna find somebody? Are you not? Is it the right person? Is it the wrong person? And you know what happens? You know what those arrows do? They just give you a big giant mirror to hold up where all you see in life is you. And you and I, when we hold up a big giant mirror and all we see is us, we have been struck by the arrows of the enemy. Because Christianity is outward facing. And so we hold up the shield of faith 
And faith is knowing who the Lord is and who He's made us and what our purpose is, and knowing that He's equipped us to walk in that. We do get one weapon, and it's a good one. It's the Word of God. My old pastor, when he was getting sermons ready, he would say sometimes he felt like the enemy was attacking him, and he would say, devil, you go to hell. He was like, it's the only time I could say that. (laughs) But you know what? Revelation 2.20 says that Jesus will throw Satan in the lake of fire while he will burn forever and ever. And so while he may be using some slang, he's actually being biblical. When Jesus comes back and he's riding on the horse, do you know what his sword will be? It will be his tongue. It will be the word of the Lord that is spoken. He's not going to have to go and say, oh, let me, let me give some trials and some justice and like I'll have to build some gallows and like some prisons. And No, no, no. His word is going to sort everything out. And he gives us a chance now to consume his word and be about his word. May his word be on our lips. Ezekiel said, your word is sweeter than honey on my lips. To this day, Orthodox Jews at at certain times of year will take honey and they'll pass it around and they'll put it on their lips and then they'll read the scriptures and they'll say, the word of God is like honey to my lips. You want to scare the devil? You hide in the Lord. You want to remind the devil of what's going to happen? You got to know his future. It's already been written. In the book of Jude, even the archangel had enough respect for Satan when he was debating him, it says, about where the body of Moses was that he said, the Lord rebuke you. He knew even he wasn't strong enough to rebuke Satan and do away with him, but he said, the Lord is. In John, John says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. There's there's so much, and that's why we have next week. I'll continue next week, but I just want to end by asking you a couple of questions. The first one is that verse in 1 John 3, 8, where it says that, If you keep on sinning, you're of the devil. And Jesus Christ came to do away with the evil deeds of the devil. There's two camps. Which camp would you be in? Would you be of the Lord? And I know most of us would never say I'm of the devil, but the Bible does. Or would you be of the devil? If somebody else was judging your life, Which camp would they say you were in? I think the Lord tonight, if he's calling you, you ought to say, Lord, I'm here. I want to be about you, and I want to be bought with a price. The battles that are keeping you from helping others know the Lord are direct attacks from the enemy. You need to know that. 
if you can't stand being around your boss, if you can't stand being around your sister-in-law, if you can't stand being around this person or that person, just take pause if you are a Christian and realize maybe there's spiritual attack here because what's the purpose of standing firm in the Lord? It's that I can advance the message and the gospel of Christ. That's why I'm to survive this present darkness. It's not for my own personal holiness and sanctification and pats on the back that I didn't sin in trouble. No, the purpose is to advance the gospel. And lastly, I would just say, if you are a Christian, but life is smooth sailing, you never have any, any bumps in the road, stuff that's just hard to explain, things that you're like, man, there's just a dark cloud. I can't get, I can't, I want to talk to this person about Christ, blah, blah, blah. But you're just like, no, man, life's great. There's only really one or two reasons for that, because when I read the apostles, I read like they really, really joined in the sufferings of Christ. So either God is giving you a respite from a really tough season, or the enemy has sidetracked you a long time ago, and there's no reason for him to mess things up anymore in your life. They're already, he's already got you distracted and off on another path. So if you want to pray for folks, knowing all this, I think one of the things you can pray is 2 Corinthians 10.5, and that is that the strongholds in their life that Satan has built would be torn down as they see truth of the glorious, wonderful Savior that we serve who is greater than the devil, who is greater than the demons, who can cast them out with a word, who commands you to pray that you too would be protected from evil, not so that your life is smooth sailing, but so that the gospel may advance. We'll continue this next week. I hope it's helpful. I'll be over at the table over here when we wrap up come over there and hang out. Let me pray for us. Lord, you're moving in people's lives, but the enemy is moving too. We just ask that your truth would prevail. Lord, that the goodness of God would make the deviations of the enemy just seem like nothing. Lord, I thank you that you love us and the enemy hates us. Lord, you have died for us, and the enemy wants us to die. Lord, you have come that we might have life and have it to the full. Lord, would you help us to take up the whole armor of God and know you and enjoy you. In Jesus' name, amen.